You're listening to a sermon from Leewood Baptist Church. For more information about us, visit our website at leewoodbaptist.com. Well, as we just sang just a few minutes ago, there are a lot of great hymns and songs that have existed in the life of the church through the years. But if we're not careful, we can substitute memorizing these songs, the great lyrics, but we can substitute memorizing them for actually learning what the Word of God says. Now, today we're talking about redemption, what it means that God has redeemed us who are Christians. We just sang a song just a second ago. There is a Redeemer that talks about that. There's another song we didn't sing today, but I'm certain has been sung in here before called Redeemed. Redeemed how I love to proclaim. I'm not going to sing the whole song, but uh, I'm not going to take out my time with that. Um, But these two songs that are great, worshipful, God-honoring songs, you can look through the lyrics of both of them. You're not going to find any heresy or untruth in them. We wouldn't have sung it otherwise. We we have a good worship pastor who guards us from such things. Um, Both of these songs talk about redemption. But neither, you can look through all the lyrics of both of those songs, neither fully explains what redemption is. doesn't make those songs bad, not at all, because we're not singing treatises on theology or anything. That's not the point of these worship songs. They, they, they lead us to worship. They're, they're honoring to God. But if, but if we're not careful, because it's easy, easier to remember song lyrics, because they rhyme, they're usually set to a catchy tune, but, so it's tempting to memorize that rather than looking at what actually the Word of God says. And if you did that with redemption, if you just memorize these songs, you don't really have a fully clear picture of what exactly redemption is and what it means. So these last few weeks, we've been doing this study on identity, on what our identity as Christians is in Christ. Specifically, we've been looking at, we've been looking at God's Word, specifically in Ephesians chapter 1, and we're going to be continuing that today in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7, particularly the first half of verse 7. Now, you may be asking me, Mike, are you really about to do a sermon on one half of one verse? Yes and no. Uh, We're we're going to be camping on this verse, but we're going to be looking throughout Scripture on what God has communicated to us about this redemption that we have. But our primary place where we're going to be is in this half verse, so yes and no. But look with me at what it says. Again, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7, really just the first half of it, says, In him we have redemption through his blood. Again, so we're going to be looking at that phrase and again looking throughout the scriptures and seeing what this redemption is all about. And to do that, we're going to answer four questions about redemption. And these are questions that are not necessarily completely answered by these songs. As good as these songs are, we're going to, we're going to do what the songs can't. We're going to look at the actual word of God and see what God has communicated to us. So the first question, it's the, kind of the biggest uh, elephant in the room. What is redemption? We just sang about it. What is it? What does it mean that something or someone is redeemed? The basic, simplest definition is being freed from bondage, freed from slavery, and typically involves a price being paid for that freeing. In the Old Testament, one of the biggest examples of redemption that occurs is when God redeemed the nation of Israel from slavery. In case you're not familiar, just the Cliffs Notes version, 
God freed, the, the nation of Israel was in slavery to the nation of Egypt, and God freed them from that slavery. And frequently throughout the Old Testament scriptures, that is referred back to as an act of redemption. An example of that is Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 8. I'm going to be throwing a lot of references at you. We don't have time today to read every one. So I'm throwing these references at you. I'm hoping you will check me on these things, make sure that what I said was true. We just don't have time to actually go and read them today. But please check me. Don't just take my word for these things. Take God's word. So Deuteronomy 7, 8 refers to this act as God's act of redemption, redeeming the people out of that slavery. The psalm that we just had read for us by Maggie talked about God as the redeemer. And that psalm points out, so not only is God referenced throughout the Old Testament as the the one who redeemed the nation of Israel out of slavery, but there is also an eye towards the future. There's an idea that there is another redemption coming. It wasn't just that one act of redeeming from slavery, but there was a future redemption ahead. That psalm spoke to that, that we had read this morning. To fully understand redemption, there are a couple of prerequisite. You know, I'm in school, seminary, some of you have been in college and stuff, you're familiar with prerequisite classes. There's things you got to do before you can do something else, right? There are four kind of prerequisite truths that are really kind of necessary to really understand this whole idea of redemption. Now, I recently, I'm a huge dork. Many of you, many of you may know this. Um, went and saw the, the latest Avengers movie a few weeks ago. Maybe, maybe two times I've seen it. Uh, but that is a movie that is the 22nd movie. That's, I'm not making that number up. That's the 22nd movie of a series. If you walked into the movie theater down, the, down state line here, to watch the new Avengers movie without seeing the previous 21 movies, you might be a little confused. It might be difficult to understand. Whether or not you enjoy superhero movies or not, there's 21 movies of information that you have not seen if you just walk into that without seeing them. It would be confusing. In the same way, this whole idea of redemption, the doctrine of redemption, is difficult to grasp if you don't get these four things. So I'm just going to lay them out for us real quick. First, We as people deserve death as the penalty for our sins. God's word tells us this in Romans chapter 6, verse 23. We deserve death. Secondly, God's wrath. So not just the just penalty of death, but it's God's wrath. God's anger is against sin, our godlessness, our unrighteousness. That's in Romans 1.18. So death is a penalty. God's wrath is against us. Thirdly, we are separated from God. There is a division because God is perfect, perfect, holy, and we are not. We're the opposite because of our sins, our iniquities. We are the opposite. So there's this division. We see this in Isaiah 59, verse 2. And finally, fourthly, we are enslaved to our sins, meaning that we are fully obedient to them. We don't resist the temptations in our life. We don't say no to sin. We're we're enslaved to it. We give in to our desires and our urges. We see that in Romans chapter 6, verses 15 through 23. That's the bad news. So it's kind of a bleak picture of our standing, but there's good news. All four of these sad facts are fixed by Christ for Christians. The last one especially, that enslavement to sin is what is fixed by our redemption. 
Because we are enslaved to sin, we have to be redeemed from it. I want to be clear here. This is not something that we're hoping for that may happen someday or you know, something that God may do for us someday. If you are a Christian, you are redeemed from the slavery to sin. It is not a hoped-for future. It is reality today, here and now. We are free from the bondage to sin. We are forgiven of our sins, and we are no longer under that condemnation, under that wrath of God for our sins. These are not things we're hoping for. These are facts here and now. So that's the first question. What is redemption? The freeing from bondage. Secondly, who is our redeemer? Who is it who has paid this price for our redemption? Let's look at our verse. Ephesians 1, 7. This is where we're going to get the answers to these questions. Ephesians 1, 7. Look at it. It says, in him we have redemption through his blood. So who is this him? Those of us who are decent at grammar recognize him as a pronoun. And, you know, if we've done third grade grammar, you know that you got to look back to see what the pronoun is representing. And we see this uh, in verse 5 that James walked us through last week, that it's Jesus we're talking about. Jesus is our Redeemer. Revelation 1.5 describes Jesus as the one who loves us and has set us free from our sins by his blood. This is our Redeemer, Jesus. These problems that we listed before, these problems that we need to grasp in our minds to understand what redemption is all about, these problems are ones that are fixed by God, not by us. You may not even have to turn the page. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. If you do have to turn a page, you may just have to turn one page. I don't have to turn a page, so I have it easy. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Read it with me. For you are saved by grace through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is God's gift, not from works, so that no one can boast. We see here, these are problems, these problems that we have that we listed out here are fixed by God, not by us. I'm a Christian. It is not because I saved myself, not because I did anything to make God look at me and say, you know what, I'm going to save him. Nothing based on nothing that I have done. I can't. It's impossible. It's impossible for me. It's, it's impossible for you. It's impossible for anybody. There's nothing that we can do, no amount of good deeds, nothing that can make God save us. We have such a tendency to put such a focus on what we do, on our actions, and think that that is what makes God love us, convinces God to save us. If I, just, if I just go to enough worship services, if I, if I sing enough of these God-honoring, worshipful songs, if I listen to enough sermons, if I memorize, read, or even memorize enough verses from the Bible, if I read enough books on theology, if I read enough devotions enough days in a row, if I give enough money, if I give enough time, God will look at me and say, you know what, he's okay. No, not at all. It is purely by grace, not by our works, that God chooses to save us. I'm going to repeat that again for those in the back, which we're Baptists, so that's most of us. There is nothing that you or I can do to make God save us. This is a pretty bleak outlook, isn't it? Seems If there's nothing I can do, is it hopeless? If there's nothing I can do, 
Am I just stuck in this pit of despair of sin? Stuck this way before God, before holy God? Here's where the good news comes in. We've had a lot of bad news. Here's the good news. We look at how we are redeemed. So first we saw what is redemption? The freeing from bondage. Who is our redeemer? Jesus. Thirdly, how are we redeemed? How did this happen? Let's look again at our verse, Ephesians 1.7. In him we have redemption through his blood. This redemption is accomplished by the blood of Christ. Throughout the Old Testament scriptures, we see this system of sacrifices that is put in place by God. That system was never permanent. It was always a temporary thing. It involved the shedding of the blood of animals to pay the price temporarily for the sins of the people. It was always an imperfect system. It was never permanent. There was a day, an annual day, the Day of Atonement, in which the, sin, the, the price for, pen, for sin was paid. That's how insufficient the blood was. It had to be redone every year. It was never permanent. And it was always with an eye, again, towards the future. A perfect sacrifice was coming. And that perfect sacrifice was Christ. Turn with me, uh, uh, excuse me, Hebrews chapter 9. As you're turning, just, just, just so you know, just a little bit back on the book of Hebrews is a very focused book on the old and new covenants, which we don't have time today to dig into what exactly those are all about. But just the, the differences and the similarities between the old and new covenants, and particularly this passage is going to talk about the redemption difference. So look with me at Hebrews chapter 9, verses 11 through 14. It says this, But Christ has appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come. In the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered the most holy place once for all time, not by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a young cow, sprinkling those who are defiled, sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse our consciences from dead works so that we can serve the living God? Now, that's a passage, we could talk about that passage for hours. That's a very loaded few verses there. But our main thing for our purposes today is that his blood accomplished the eternal redemption. Not a temporary one, not one that had to be redone on an annual basis. Eternal, permanent, one sacrifice once for all. In 1 Corinthians 5-7, the Apostle Paul referred to Christ as our Passover lamb who had been sacrificed. Now what does that mean, Passover lamb? What does it mean that Christ is our Passover lamb? Passover was a Jewish holiday celebrating what we just talked about before, the redeeming of Israel out of slavery in the land of Egypt. But just the Cliff's Notes version of what's going on as a student, I love Cliff's Notes. So just the summary, in the book of Exodus, chapter 12, God is putting pressure on the leadership of the land of Egypt to release the Israelites. But he keeps saying, they keep saying no. Pharaoh keeps saying no. And so God does a series of curses on the Egyptians and on the land of Egypt to put that pressure on them. And the last of these curses, the worst of these curses is God tells them, I'm going to kill all of the firstborn sons in the land of Egypt. And I say that again, just in case you didn't grasp that. All of the firstborn sons in the land of Egypt, 
The people of Israel are in the land of Egypt. But God gives a way out for the Israelites to avoid falling under that curse, to avoid having their firstborn sons killed. God says, take the blood of a lamb, put it over your doorframe of your house, and when I come into the land to kill the firstborn sons, I will see that blood on your doorframe, and I will not kill the firstborn son of that house. I will pass over and not do this judgment on your house. So in referring to Christ as the ultimate Passover lamb, again, so much of the stuff we see in the Old Testament comes to fulfillment, comes to a greater realization in Christ, and this is one of them. Christ as our ultimate Passover lamb means that we are covered by his blood. This blood that was used in our redemption covers us. When God looks at we who are Christians, rather than seeing our unholiness, our iniquities, our sins, our rebellion, what he sees is the blood of the ultimate Passover lamb over us, not on our doorframe, because we're not doors, but metaphysically over us. And because of that, this death that is deserved for our sins, this wrath that is justly applied to us, this separation that exists is taken care of because of our being covered by the blood of Christ, the ultimate Passover lamb. A day is coming when God will judge every single one of us. The question that will be asked in that judgment is not about the balancing of the scales of your good and bad acts. It will not, it's not about how many services did I go to versus how many times I cursed. No, that's, not, that's not what it's going to be about. That's not what God's going to be asking us when we stand before him in judgment. God is going to be asking, do you know Christ? And he doesn't even have to ask because he's going to know. Christ paints a picture of this day for us in Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 to 23, and it describes people saying, well, didn't I do these good things? Didn't I do these good things? And Christ is going to say, that doesn't matter. It's not about what things you have done. It's about if you've known me, if you have followed me. Are you covered by this Passover lamb's blood? So the last question, and this will bring us to kind of our conclusion in just a few minutes. What does this redemption mean for us here and now in 2019? You know, this happened. Christ died on the cross 2,000 plus years ago. What does this mean now? Well, that depends. It depends how you answer the question are you a Christian? If your answer to that question is yes, if I ask you, are you a Christian, Christian and you say yes, that, that, that's a loaded statement. That's a loaded thing you're saying. What you are saying is yes, I am a person who has been redeemed by the blood of Christ. That means you have confessed Christ as your Savior and also as your Lord. We see this in Romans 10, 9. Lord is kind of a scary church word, but basically that means boss. Jesus is our boss. Many of us have worked, whether in the past or now. We all have bosses 
And bosses are very, very good, particularly at one thing, at telling us what to do, right? Christ, our boss, has told us what to do in his word. He's told us a lot of things, but he gives us a summary. In Matthew chapter 22, verses 36 through 40, Christ sums up all of the Old Testament law, all of the commands of God in two commands. First is to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's the first command. Second is to love your neighbor as yourself. These are two things that, if they're happening in your life, are not going to be hidden things. Loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength will have an impact in the decisions you make in your life, the priorities in your life, things you do, things you don't do. Again, these are not the things that save you. This is a result of your being saved. Loving your neighbor would, of course, be something that's visible in how we relate to other people, how we talk to other people, how we treat other people. So let me ask you, if your answer to the question, are you a Christian, is yes, then is it obvious? Is it visible? Is it seen? Christ gave us an example of somebody who was doing this. In Luke chapter 10, he tells the parable of the Good Samaritan. And in the parable of the Good Samaritan, we see this picture of this guy who is completely self-sacrificial of all of his, his personal goods, his finances, his time, his sympathy, completely self-sacrificing for a man he doesn't even know. He just came along in the street. We may have a tendency, if we're not careful, to look at the parable of the Good Samaritan like, like we watch Chiefs football. We see these elite, world-class athletes doing their work there at Arrowhead, we don't watch them thinking, I can do that. No, we're not world-class athletes. They are. That's why they're out there on Arrowhead making the millions and millions of dollars. If we're not careful, we have a tendency to look at the Good Samaritan in that way. Like, wow, look at him. Look at how great this Good Samaritan is. I could never do that, but it's great to look at him. No, 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 no. Christ himself says, after he gives that parable in verse 37 of chapter 10 of Luke, he says, go and do the same. We are called to be that good Samaritan, loving the people that we come across on a daily basis in the world, seeing them, giving of our, of our own personal goods, of our own resources, of our, of our time, of our sympathy. That is the message of the parable of the good Samaritan. If we're not careful, we could be what we could call a camouflaged Christian. There's all kinds of camouflage. Jungle camouflage for in jungle environments. There's camouflage for desert environments, camouflage for environments around water. There's camouflage for winter environments around snow. All of it has the same purpose, right? We have a few hunters here, a few uh, military veterans. Camouflage always has the same purpose, no matter what environment it is. It's all about blending in to that environment, being unseen, being obscured, not being obvious. So I want to ask you, as a Christian, if you look at your own life, are you a camouflaged Christian? Are you indistinguishable from the world, the culture around you? 
Now, to be clear, I'm not talking about how we're dressed or what hairstyle we have. Not that kind of camouflage. I'm talking about spiritual heart camouflage. Are you blending into the world? Are you indistinguishable from the, from the unbelieving world around you? I'm going to say to you today, and God's word says to you today, that is not the way we as Christians are supposed to exist in the world around us. In Matthew 5, 13, 16, Jesus tells us that we are to be salt and light in the world around us. Those things have impact. Those things affect change. The world should be different because we're in it. The people that we meet should have some form of impact on their lives because they have met us. We are not just another person. We are people who have been redeemed by Christ and commanded to love God and love our neighbors as ourselves. There should be a difference. There should be no camouflage. And so if there is, if you look at your own life, and again, you know, I, I can't look at anybody here and say whether you're a camouflage Christian or not. Because I don't know the reality of anybody's here hearts except for my own. We can only judge ourselves. Am I camouflaging myself? And if we are, examine, see, is this really what God wants for my life? And if we look at God's word, we're going to see the answer is no. Be salt and light. Have an impact. If it's not happening, ask yourself, am I truly a Christian? This is ultimately the most important question we can ever ask and answer because eternity hangs in the balance. Am I truly a Christian? Am I truly a follower of Christ? Am I truly somebody who has been redeemed by his blood? It's very important that we answer this question truthfully for ourselves because a day is coming when judgment's going to happen. We can trick each other. I can come up to everybody one-on-one. Everybody can come up to me one-on-one. We can lie to each other. We can quote scripture at each other. We can say the right answers. But ultimately, there is no camouflage between us and God. One day we are going to stand before God, and there is no amount of camouflage that will hide the reality of your heart from him. He will know, regardless of whether we can quote scripture, quote books of theology, quote doctrine, talk about how many sermons we've listened to or how many we've preached, None of that's going to matter if we stand before God not having known Christ, not having truly been a follower of Christ. There's no camouflage that would hide that. So that's what redemption means for us who say we are a Christian. If you are not a Christian, I'll simply say this to you today. It is not too late. Yes, a day is coming of judgment when it will be too late. We don't know when that's going to be. It could be 10 seconds from now, 10 minutes, 10 hours, 10 days, 10 weeks, 10 months, 10 years, 10 decades, 10 millenniums. We don't know when it's going to happen. But what we do know is that Christ will return one day and judge. And there will be two classes of people, those who know him, who are redeemed by Christ, and those who are not. And there will be no amount of trickery about that. So if you're here today and you're not a Christian, just know that the work is done. What is required to pay for your sins has happened. 
If you feel God's spirit working in your heart today, convincing you of these things, it's not about how convincing I am. If God's spirit is working in your heart, convincing you of the truth of these things, don't ignore him. Listen, repent of your sins, follow Christ in obedience, and join the crowd of redeemed. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word and what you have taught us. Thank you for what you have done in your work of redemption, freeing us from the bondage that we are in from birth to our sins, our our natural tendency to just follow our sins with, with no rejection of our sins. Father, only you could have done that, and you did that through the work of Christ on the cross. We thank you so much for that gift. Father, help us today as we think about what your word has said to us, as we ponder, as we examine ourselves. Help us to examine each other, ourselves honestly, because ultimately this is the most important question the most important understanding that we could have is whether or not we are truly a Christian, truly a follower of you, truly somebody who has been redeemed by the blood of Christ. Father, we love you. We thank you again for what you have spoken to us in your word. Help us with your spirit. Help us to remember these things, ponder these things, and answer honestly these questions. We love you, Father. We ask this all For your glory in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you're in the Kansas City area, we'd love to have you be our guest. We're located at 8200 State Line Road in Leewood, Kansas. Worship services are on Sunday mornings at 1030. To learn more about us, visit our website at leewoodbaptist.com.